We are in the middle of a Bible uh, teaching series known as Un Re, One King, study of First and Second Samuel, and um, we believe in this church that the Bible is God's Word. It is given to us that we might have life and that we might live our lives in accordance with it. And so um, we have a, a familiar Bible story this morning, so no other introduction. I'm just going to jump in First Samuel chapter 3. This is verse 1, and it's God's Word. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli was the high priest. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, I just want to stop for a moment just to appreciate the writing. The story is told in a way that really reinforces the writer's purpose that we're going to see in this chapter. He says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And then he literally tells us that Eli had no vision. He was blind. And then he tells us that the lamp of the temple, the menorah, was in uh, in danger of going out. So he ties all that together, and there's really a deeper message there. These were dark times for God's people. Israel was on the verge of abandonment by God. Um, Few words being spoken from God, the lamp of the presence flickering in the tabernacle. Okay, so verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. I want you to notice here um, just the kindness and patience of God. Um, He's allowing Samuel time to figure things out. It's also worth mentioning that none of us, not even Samuel, the Lord's prophet, can understand the word of the Lord unless it is revealed to us. Okay, so just a side note, but a good one. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, 
calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In other words, God is about to get the attention of his people. On that day, God says, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli, sorry, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Now we can understand why Samuel might be afraid. Eli was basically a father to Samuel, and Eli was also the high priest. So this is a pretty heavy thing for a young boy to have to deal with, okay? Verse 16, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. Eli's actually calling him now. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Gulp. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, we gave Eli a really hard time last week, which he deserved. Uh, But I've got to give Eli some major credit on his response. Okay, He really takes this on the chin. Not just that he's going to be punished, but how embarrassing must it have been not just to receive the bad news, but to know that God is speaking to a young boy, but not to the high priest. Okay? Incidentally, um, if you go to the Gospels, the New Testament, that is why most of the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. In pride, they could not accept that Jesus was from God and speaking for God and that they knew nothing about it. So there was this jealousy. And you read this and you kind of expect to hear that from Eli, but you don't. He doesn't respond in jealousy or anger. He just accepts the judgment of God. Which is interesting to me. Verse 19. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, so from north to south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord." I love that sentence 
in verse 19. I think the same thing was said of Joshua. The Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Okay, When my kids were little, and we talked about that this week, but when we used to play this game where we would try to keep a balloon in the air, and it, you've all played this. It's really simple, right? You just hit the balloon up in the air. You're trying not to let it touch the ground. And But when we did this, my kids were really little. They had small arms and small legs. And so most of the time, Daddy had to help, right? And that's how I think of this sentence. The point is not that Samuel was such a good prophet that none of his words fell to the ground. The point is that God was big enough that he kept them from falling. Okay, The words of Samuel carried because God was with him. Remember what God had said in chapter 2. He said, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. Okay, Emphasis on my. My faithful priest. My heart. My mind. Okay, Samuel did in some ways function as a priest, but he was also the first named prophet since Moses. His call resembled the call of Moses. And as chapter 3 ends, we feel this sense of hope, right? That that things are getting better. God is back at Shiloh. He is speaking again. He is with Israel. Israel may be finally leaving the dark ages of the judges. But that hope hinges completely on what the writer calls the word of the Lord. Okay, He mentions it at the beginning middle and end of the chapter that we just read. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. A few important lessons about that word of the Lord. And the first is this. The absence of God's word is always an indicator of God's judgment. Without the word of the Lord, God's people are in darkness. We are in trouble. We are not healthy <clears throat> healthy without God's word. We are not a healthy church without God's word. In fact, we would not even be a church as the Bible defines it. Um, here in Samuel, there's this picture of the lamp of the tabernacle known as the menorah that's fading, right? In Revelation, Jesus threatens to remove his lampstand from some of the churches. The message there is the same, okay? Whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, the message is the same. Without God's word, the people of God lose their effectiveness. They lose their their power, okay? Losing the word is losing the light. It is judgment upon the church, upon God's people, okay? So that's the first thing. The absence of God's word is an indicator of his judgment. The opposite is also true. 
the presence of God's word is an indicator of God's grace. A church that loves God's word, that engages with God's word, that listens to and speaks God's word, is a church full of God's grace. It is a church full of light. But I want to clear something up. And this is important. Verse 1 said that the word of the Lord was rare. That does not mean that God was silent. What it means is that either no one was speaking the word or no one was listening to the word. Because they had the word. They had what they had at that time was the book of Moses. God had given them plenty of words, plenty of instructions for the way they were to live their lives and for the way they were to trust God. The issue was not a lack of word. The issue was a failure to listen and obey what was already spoken to them. And the same thing is true today. We now have a lot more than the book of Moses. We have a finished Bible. But the question 1 Samuel 3 would be asking us, okay, is the word of the Lord rare? Meaning, do we have ears to hear it? Is it being spoken to us? If the word of God seems rare today, it is not because God is silent. It's because God's people won't listen and or because Christians won't speak. Paul's prophecy in 2 Timothy came to mind as I was writing this week. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Why don't people endure sound teaching? I think it's at least in part because the word of God, the word of the Lord is heavy. It's heavy. It's not easy for Samuel to tell Eli that his legacy is lost. And it's not easy for us to tell people that their souls are lost unless they repent. It's not easy to speak the truth in a world that calls good evil and evil good. It's not easy to be a preacher in the entertainment age. Um, this is off my notes, sorry, but um, just got to thinking about how a lot of times preachers face this temptation to be flashy and tell a lot of stories and you know have to have really good things to say, really clever ways to say it. Because we're all used to being entertained. Um, 
I don't, I don't really do that. Y'all know me. I mean, I'm just trying to keep it really simple <laughs> because I believe that the, the Word of God stands on its own, okay? But, but speaking it simply and clearly and letting it carry itself, letting, letting God not let my words fall to the ground is, is also difficult because those words are heavy. That's what's so beautiful about that little metaphor God saying he let none of the words fall to the ground okay and we're thinking like feathers right but that's not no it's more like anvils <laughs> God's not letting any anvils hit the ground right it's heavy it's dangerous God's word always breeds conflict because most people don't want to hear it it's like having an anvil dropped on your head and God's just kind of holding it right there above you. <laughs> like, and it could crush you. The piano. That's really the, the picture that I want you to have. Okay? Even for the Christian, God's Word breeds warfare in our hearts between the Holy Spirit and the sin nature that's still there. There's, there's war going on inside of us. Even those of us who hear God speaking. And there's a tension even in the gospel itself. Just as God sends bad news through Samuel before the good news, the gospel also comes to us with that tension. Always bad news before the good news. Look, look at what Jesus says at the end of Matthew 11. Okay? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, so... That's the word of the Lord, and that falls on us like the, the gentle feather, right? Just kind of softly falls on the ears and promises rest, healing, comfort. Beautiful words of Jesus, right? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Humble, beautiful invitation to us to, to find rest and acceptance in Christ. Just like a feather. Just floating to the ground. But I want you to look at what Jesus says just a few chapters later. Matthew 16. Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Okay? That is a much different invitation. Same Jesus, same Word of God, slightly different message, right? The cross is no easy yoke. The cross is no light burden. Nobody rests on a cross. They dehydrate and suffer and die painfully. What do you do with that? 
What do you do with a Jesus who says something so inviting and refreshing and a few chapters later says something so dark? And brothers and sisters, that is the tension of the Gospel, the Word of the Lord. Jesus Himself comes to us with both an invitation and a challenge. Repent and believe. Trust and obey. Rest and die. Sometimes we need the Word of the Lord to fall gently and comfort us. And sometimes we need it to hang over us like an anvil. Sometimes we need conviction. As Jack Miller said, cheer up. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Both of those things are true at the same time for us. And the Word of God compels us to see both, to hear both in Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets like Samuel. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. You see, the hopefulness of 1 Samuel 3 is not about Samuel. The hopefulness is found in the presence and work of God in the chapter. What does it say at the end? It says, the Lord was with him. The Lord appeared. The Lord revealed. Okay, The Lord is there. And He's speaking. And He's holding up the word of the Lord. All of those things, all of those little words in Hebrew, all those little phrases, they are all hints of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Emmanuel. God with us. The presence of God in the person and work of Jesus is the Lord being with us. The Lord appearing with His people. The Lord revealed. The Word of the Lord is available. It was then. It is today. And it is still how God changes things. In the difficulties of our lives, okay? So this is where you can make it personal and... and, I know many of your stories. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know exactly what you're going through right now. Some of you. But this question will mean something to you. Like, What do you need most right now? Just think about it. What do you need most? What do I need most right now? If the first thing that pops into your head is more money or better health or happiness, which would be honest, okay? So like most of us, like what that's probably the honest answer, right? I mean, religious people will say, I need more of God, okay? But, but, and yes, that's true, but that's not what we think, Right? Your immediate response to what do you most need right now is probably something self-serving. 
But all of that is temporary. We don't need more money. We don't need better health. We don't need happiness. What we most need, according to God, is his word best revealed to us in Jesus. That's what we actually need more of. Isaiah 66, and this is where we'll end. All these things that you see, my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite, lowly in spirit, and trembles at my word. So my prayer for us is that we be a church full of people who tremble at God's word. Be here. Listen to God's preaching. Hear the word. Be with God's people. Be in relationships with other Christians who are speaking God's word to you in the midst of the hard times. Who are reminding you what we believe about God because He said so. This is where Jesus promises to be. He doesn't promise to be anywhere else. He said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, that's where I'm going to be. And this is what we need. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what we're saying is that we need You. We need You every hour, every minute, every day. You are the Word. You reveal God to us. You appeared that we might know our God. Lord Jesus, I know that... um, For many of us, there are doubts, there are are things going on that cause us to question our faith, there are struggles that um, only you see in some of our lives, and we lay those things at your feet today. We just ask you by your Spirit to help us to believe, to trust that We don't need anything the way we need You. The way we need Your Word. And Father, would You help us not just to trust You um, in the the rest and and the peace that You promise in Christ, but also to trust You in the hard thing of carrying the cross of letting the Word be authority in our lives. And You never crush us. You never destroy Your people under it. But sometimes You convict us that we might be changed. And I pray for that as well. Not for our sake, O Lord, but for Your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.